Hello and welcome to my podcast, How I Teach Golf. My name's Duncan Walger and I hope you enjoy the show. Happy New Year, everybody. Um, welcome back to How I Teach Golf in 2019. Uh, I had a lot of really good responses, so I'm very, very grateful to everyone who reached out to me um, saying how much they're enjoying the the, the podcast. Um, and also a few people reached out to me to, to tell me who they would like on. Um, so what I've done, I've, I've got my list and I'm in contact with these people and one of these people uh, got back to me today and said that they would be able to come on. So I've got them on the show. So, Tom Motley, how are we? I'm very well, thanks, Don. Thanks for inviting me on, pal. No problem at all. Happy New Year to you. And you, and you. Um, so, Tom, I know we've met at a few seminars and uh, uh, we're quite active on, on Twitter. Um, but I don't know how you got into the game, where you played your junior golf or anything about that. So... Just for the listeners, how did uh, how did Tom get to where he is today? Um, well, I started. Um, well, I, I started, I guess, from caddying for my old man when I was about eight or nine, ten, sort of years old. Um, found it pretty boring. <laughs> so, okay. So mm-hmm. nicked one of his clubs and whacked a ball at him and uh, nearly hit him and thought I was in for a bit of a telling off. But he turned around and said, uh, "We're getting you a set of clubs, son," and and that was pretty much the start of my golfing journey up at a place called Stinchcombe Hill over in Dursley down in Gloucestershire here. Okay. Um, I never really looked back, really. I, I was addicted from the moment I started. I was playing on my local green at my cricket club and stuff, digging up cricket wickets, thinking it was a putting green and chipping green. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I got, got in a lot of trouble for, for doing the sport I love. But um, but yeah, ever since then, I've, uh, I've pretty much been a, a golf addict as a player and now a, an addict as a coach, really. It's, it's been, been brilliant. Loved it. So what sort of amateur career did you have? Did you have one or what was the... It was a bit of a funny one, really. I was, without blowing my own trumpet, I was, I was pretty decent um, until I was about 15, 16. Um, so I played a lot of county golf, a uh, bit of like regional, national stuff, um, and qualified for a few things like abroad. And whatnot up until I was about fifteen, sixteen, and then um, kind of lost my way a bit. Got uh, got a bit disenchanted with it. Kind of, God, it's going to sound like I'm blaming the other coaches, and it wasn't their fault. It was my fault for the way I took it. But I kind of got yeah. kind of coached out of the love of the game, really. So I kind of stopped playing competitively between the ages of sixteen and twenty, really, and. Uh, and that was it, really. And then, then I came back. I went to Australia for a year, went and had some good times out there, not playing golf, and then came back and picked up the sticks and thought, why the hell have I been wasting four years not playing this game? I love it. And um, well, here I am now. <laughs> okay, so when you came back from Australia, the what did you do? Go straight to do your PGA or did you try the amateur circuit? No, I, I, the... I did the amateur circuit briefly. Um, went back into county golf, played a couple of um, regional, national stuff things, but... Um, and then I, I was working in golf. So um, I turned pro when I was 24. So I played three or four years as an amateur, um, but mainly local because at the time I didn't drive. Um, yeah. So the idea of planning national events with uh, with buses and trains didn't <laughs> wasn't easy. <laughs> no. Um, looking back, I wish I had because it would have been nice to have uh, tested myself against the big boys. But 
to be honest, I, I lost four really important years of development um, between 16 and 20, which really would have sown the seeds for competing with the, with the top boys and stuff. And, and I, I knew I wasn't good enough as an amateur to go and, and challenge for those things with the amount of um, time I was dedicating to it with work and whatnot. And, uh, and then I thought, well, look, I'm working in golf and I'm not really getting paid for it. I might as well get paid for playing as well <laughs> and yeah pro uh, so where did you do your pga uh, i started my pga in 2004 five something like that um, yeah. finished it 2007 eight i think um and had three great years to be fair i mean i know a lot of guys are a bit anti-pga and stuff like that but um i certainly wouldn't be where i am today without the pga without the foundation it gave me without the the idea of actually learning again because i hadn't been in education since i was 18 years old and the thought of you know having my head in the books and stuff at 24 25 i didn't really wasn't the most appealing thing for no. me but um but I, I i look back on it now and i don't i don't have an ounce of regret at the time i thought i, I remember doing my first few assignments and i was like what on earth am i doing i haven't even typed anything in about five years so <laughs> it was a bit of a learning curve for me but um but now it's been brilliant since really Fantastic. And did you have did you have like a mentor or what was the what was kind of the the situation you were in? How did you, how did you get through your PGA? Was that um, to be fair, the, the guy that helped me the most through the PGA was actually um, one of the assistants I worked with. He was a year ahead of me, um, and he he'd done the degree and stuff like that. So you know he's been in education all all the way through, and I was I was just a, a struggling kind of assistant that all he knew how to do was whack a golf ball really and and sell golf clubs. Um, the education side was a bit of yeah. a, a struggle for me and um, a guy called Gareth just helped me out loads he he, he sat down with my assignments and um, and he, he pointed me in the right direction and um, and then really after, after year one I kind of figured everything out and started to realise that working hard is probably a better idea than trying to do your assignment 48 hours before it's due to be in um, and yeah. then I, I very fortunately <laughs> met my wife and <laughs> um, who is a copywriter <laughs> and marketeer who um, is very good with English and punctuation. <laughs> so um, she, she helped me out with all the, very the, good. the minor bits or the finer bits of my assignments, which uh, stopped me going, getting fails and getting passes and merits. So, um, yeah, I had quite a lot of help through my PGA, to be fair, looking back. I had a lot of help. I'm similar position with Mike when I did the PG diff. Uh, my wife my was oh, way yeah. more intelligent than me. And um, she she used to read my assignments, and she used to turn around to me and say, "You yeah. isn't really English." Yeah. I'm, I'm I'm still struggling oh. now, thinking, "God, my son, my, my son's nearly six, and uh, he's going to start having to ask me about his English homework." And I'll, I'll just pass him on to his mother and say, "Look, I'll I'll deal with the PE bit, son. The rest of it, you can go to your mother." Yeah, I do, I do the maths, and the, I do the maths, and uh, my wife does the uh, my wife definitely does the English and everything. Commentary so. amongst the golf professionals is yeah. great. <laughs> <laughs> so after the PGA, what uh, what kind of route um, did you well, take? Well, during your... the during the PGA, uh, I mean, just before I I, I started the PGA, I tried a bit of Euro Pro and went out on um, the Moonlight Tour. So when I first started the PGA, it was still with kind of a little kind of bit of the dream still left going in terms of the playing side, but um, it, it was never going to happen really. Um, and so once I finished my PGA, I decided, look, you know, the learning starts now, really. I, 
and again, I don't want to downgrade the PGA, but they teach you kind of the basics. Um, you don't really know how to teach when you've, you've, you've completed your first three years. You're just getting into it. Um, and I decided, look, you know, shop management and that side of things, which was kind of my, my background skill, um, wasn't for me. And I just wanted to kind of be a coach um, and started applying for some jobs and very fortunately got a, a job at a place called Brockett Hall is my first major kind of job move from being an assistant. Um, okay. As the lead teaching professional up there. And, and I was like, whoa, I'm out of my depth here. And and so I was like, right, if I'm going to have a, a job title at a, quite a prestigious place like that, I better be able to hold my own amongst people. <laughs> um, and that's really where... I kind of became the coaching geek that I am today, really. It was, it was, that was the catalyst, I suppose. Um, I just wanted to be able to know everything, um, which I still don't know, by the way. Um, but I just felt like, you know, with the basics I had, I was a way outside of the, the level that I should be and wanted to be in terms of my education and understanding and, and coaching ability. So, um, and so it was, it was really, 2008 9 2009 it would have been um that i was like right i'm gonna be a full-time coach and this is what i'm gonna de dedicate my time to and uh and yeah that was really the start of it so what did you what did you do specifically did you read um, books go to seminars sort of well, what was your what was your you, journey you will what be was... very pleased to hear this duncan that my first proper coaching book that i read was plain truth <laughs> it was was um, it really i'm i am a little surprised that rather than um so it was it was plain truth um and then a very kind gentleman yeah. called dunk walger got me a signed book um of um the pluses yeah the pluses and minuses from jim hardy which is still on my shelf somewhere um and then wow. um, I started going to seminars, met a few guys that were um, very, very knowledgeable. Um, one we all know, James Ridyard, um, was quite heavily yeah. linked with Stack and Tilt back in those days. Um, met Mike and Andy through him, went through the education, that side of things, moved out of that pigeonhole if you like and I don't, there's nothing wrong with stacking tilt or anything like that. it's got huge amounts of value to a lot of golfers um but i just didn't really want to be pigeonholed yeah. into a method or or kind of work under someone else's brand um mm -hmm. and uh, you know it was it was very positive in many ways but very negative in, in in other ways so um started looking at morad um you name it i've read it pretty much within within reason runyon okay. lynn blake the golfing machine uh, I've I've been to them all, I think. <laughs> and uh... fantastic. So, did how long? How, I know you still do some stuff now, but would you say you you're still doing as much stuff, oh, no, or has it slowed, it slowed down, down a bit now? now? Um, I think it was it was. I, I kind of made the fatal mistake of trying to cram everything in, um, and I didn't really know who I was as a coach. Um, I kind of I was like a hybrid of so many different ideas that I I really didn't have my own kind of philosophies if you like um my own things that i like to look for or like to start my work on and 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 you know that side of things so i kind of took a step back and i was like what you know what do i want to be do i want to be someone else do i want to actually just be authentic to myself and authentic in my own style of coaching with the information that i've learned from others um and and so 
more more of the stuff now is actually more about like skill acquisition the psychology of things you know the the you know there's a there's a great guy who i've spent um or i speak to uh, not so much recently but i think it's just because he's horrendously busy because he's getting far too popular for his own good um but a guy called pete arnott who's um very you know into his um constraints led coaching and he led me down and gave me some good ideas and and it was really there that i started reading books on you know being a coach not necessarily what you coach in terms of technical stuff just how you yeah. communicate with people and get the best out of people in their training and and that side of things and and so nowadays i think i've i haven't flogged technique to death yet um but i've certainly put it on the the back burner of, of two, in terms of my education it's more about learning about people skills being you know been been pretty authentic to who i am as a coach rather than trying to be somebody else really it's it's easy to see someone being really good um or or really successful and going right well if pete cowan is really bolshy and all the rest of it that's that's got to be the way and then that's just not authentic to me i'm not saying pete cowan is bolshy i'm pete if you're listening i'm sure you're a nice guy but (laughs) but, uh, (laughs) um, yeah i'd say i kind of I, i i look more into kind of getting the best out of the human being first rather than the golf swing. And can you put it down to an actual point in time almost where you went, you know, although I'm still very curious about technique, um, I'm, 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 I'm here with this, all this, all these techniques. So there's all this massive Tom Motley technique soup going on. This is kind of the vision yeah. I got in my mind. And you've kind of come to a point where you just said, kind of enough of this i've actually got to serve this soup up rather than yeah just trying to keep um, making one i think I, I won't name the name um there was a particular player i was working no. with and um as a bit of an ad hoc kind of a, a bit part figure in something and 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 and, and the lessons just didn't go well uh, whatever i wanted to do they didn't really get and i was like why am i why am i not getting this the best out this very very talented player and I realized that I was, I was just, I was teaching them the swing and, and I was like, God, you know, this human being needs support. This, he needs something else. Um, and, and it was really then that I just kind of went, do you know what? I need to, I need to get better at the people side of things first. Stop, stop trying to be something I'm uh-huh. not. Cause actually the one thing I'd, I'd say I pride myself in the most about my coaching is I actually care which, you know, I'm, I'm not saying other yeah. coaches don't, but I, I'd say I'd probably go a, a bit too far and beyond the pay scale um, for players. But that's part of my DNA. That's part of who I am. And when I stopped being that way, I, I found that actually my results got worse. And, and I thought, well, actually, I'm, I'm trying not to be mm-hmm. something that's actually natural to me, which which seemed a bit silly at the time. Um, but, yeah, it was, it, was, it was really there was a particular player that just triggered my my thought process and thought you know i need to get better at the other stuff the other side of things um they left me um they've never come back and you know it's it's, it's part of the learning process you make mistakes as coaches and as long as you can look back and reflect on it and, and say right i'm not going to make that the same mistake or, or try and get to the crux of what went wrong you can you can get better for it and so i'm, I'm quite reflective in my old age i'm probably getting a bit soft and sensitive or something but um <laughs> but yeah I, I i try and reflect as much on my coaching as possible just because i think that's how golfers get better so why are we as coaches not reflecting enough you know so i think well if i if i'm getting my players to do it i damn well better do it myself about my own practices 
Brilliant. So is there any other changes you made to yourself? Was there, or was it just literally, I'm just going to look into um, dealing with the person? Or, I try, well, I try to be there... more organised, which um, is probably my worst trait. <laughs> I'm, I'm not the most okay. organised human beings on a day-to-day basis, but I try and be. Um, but yeah, no, I, th- I just think, you know, I don't know, really. I just... No, I can't. I, I, I can't answer that question. I don't know. <laughs> okay, no, that's fine. We'll come back. back on that one later. So, uh, how do I go about, and what happens in an authentic Tom Motley um, golf session? Well, I mean, in any session, it's a, it's all about the, the the first initial part of it is is a conversation based around you know what a player wants, what their patterns are, what their needs, what their concepts are, you know all the all the all the 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 basics of of, of what you've got in front of you, and then it's kind of setting a plan after you've uh, you've evaluated what they want and what they need, um, and and what I try and get to do certainly more along the elite line, but it's it's pretty much across the board. Um, but definitely for the elite side of things is, is create a blueprint, a technical blueprint for the player to work within. Um, and again, I've made the mistake of kind of going from one idea to the other with players and then you end up getting confused. And if I'm confused, the player's definitely confused. So I've tried to be a bit more organised in, in, in getting a player right. This is your model. This is your pattern. This is what it looks like when it's good. This is what it looks like when it's bad. When it's bad, you go to this. These are your drills to man- maintain your stuff. So they, they've got a good level of understanding of their own golf swings. I think too often we, you know, this is the royal way, not, I'm not, but we leave, we leave players kind of like, well, this is what, this is what he's asking me to do. But when it goes wrong, they don't have that other side of the information. So I, I, I've tried to be, pretty good at getting all the information across but not lots of technical jargon or stuff like that try and keep it as simple as possible but they know where they sit within that technical model what their blueprint is and as i say kind of their go-to drills when things are out they understand why um and they know their drills that help them get back in there and and so it's it's this kind of you're not working on one separate thing one week and then something else the next week because the ball pattern's gone a little bit awry it's it's always kind of kept within that box, if you like, um, just so it stops a player going off into random tangents and, and me, because I, I, I can quite easily do that at times, which I probably have just done on that question, basically. <laughs> no, not at all. And I think might be, it, straight away when you were talking about it, and I thought it was fantastic and fascinating, but how do you actually get that information down? Is it written? Is it, um, do you use a piece of tech? How, how what, what, what way do you actually, you've had the conversation either prior to the meeting or in your first session. So you know the, the wants and needs of goals. You've evaluated how they're, let's say, example, it's just yeah. on a full swing because it's probably the easiest thing to do. So you've, you've evaluated their ball flights, their ball flight miss tendencies, um, what they're doing within their patterns and their frameworks. How does how do you collate all that and what, what's given uh, well, to the golfer, the, as it were? Every session there's either a video rundown or some some drill videos post up either onto um, I'm going to call it Edify, but it's not called that anymore. It's called Thank You. Not um, coach now. And because um, yeah. I use Swing Catalyst um, pressure plates and software, coaching software, 
um i'll i'll, I'll send mm-hmm. them a video which is basically just a two three four minute rundown of, of of where the swing's at um any information we've gone through in within that lesson the checkpoints any videos of their drills that we're doing will be uploaded um and again a lot of the time the lesson almost seems like the same and i i think that if there's one piece of advice for 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 golfers out there never think that um you're getting a bad lesson if you're getting the same lesson time after time after time it's it's actually you're probably doing the right thing not the wrong thing no. um but yeah we we just try and get the information down somewhere i keep my own personal notes um again when i'm in my organized mode um but i try and keep as many notes on 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 certainly the elite side of players but to be to be fair um a lot of the guys i've been working with now i I work with quite closely i'm in pretty regular contact in terms of daily by daily basis 365 days a year um so the information flow nowadays with with the with the the higher end clients um it's so regular that you're talking on quite a regular basis that it's very difficult to kind of get waylaid. Whereas someone you only see, you know, once every six, eight weeks that comes in for a lesson, you you club golfers, you seven, eight handicappers and and above, you know, that they tend to, you know, you you tend to work with them on a different level. That's no disrespect to their standard. It's just that they don't need you in that to that severity, if you like. And do you find that their tendencies are different? So if you're teaching a, let's say, a, a 10 handicap golfer and we're talking about scratch and scratch and better, mm-hmm. so scratch the plus three or something like that, do you find that their their, their tendencies are um, different? When you say tendencies, what do you mean by tendencies? What, their, 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 their technical tendencies or practice tendencies or... I would say probably both, actually. Um, let's, technical let's tendencies are uh, generally very different. Um, and again, this is a massive generalization, but I certainly, um, on the, the, the lower level, I think a, a lot of, um, like scratch plus handicap golfers get, get, have this moment in their career where they decide that whatever ball flight they have, they want the polar opposite. So if they've got a big draw, all of a sudden they want to fade it all their life. Um, and vice versa whereas uh, most of the club golfers just want to draw it <laughs> to be honest <laughs> so um, yep. you kind of you, you see it through both sets of eyes but yeah i'd say you know lower handicap golfers tend to have a pretty sound technique walking through your door anyway um so it's it's it, i think i'd once described it look it's, it's like a ferrari you don't change the engine on the ferrari you finally tune it to make it work better Whereas if you've got a, a clapped yeah. out mini, um, you put a new engine in it and it'll work better. I'm not saying the 10 handicap is a clapped out mini, but what I'm getting at is that on the better end of the golfer, generally you do less or work on less that probably has more impact on their scoring. Whereas I think club golfers tend to want to hit better shots, not necessarily lower their scores, which I don't agree with, but it, it does tend or have a better looking swing, believe it or not. I've, I've I've, I'm sure you've had lessons mm-hmm. where people say, "Look, I just want to swing it better." Well, what does what define what better yep. is? Well, it, it looks better. Okay, well, I can make it look better. The ball might not go as well, but um, you know. And I think I think that's where I think the better golfers understand that they've got what they've got, and they want to get the best out of what they got. Whereas club golfers, and you know, and again, big generalization, tend to want something they haven't got, um, so they go down a, a bit more of a harder journey. And, my opinion um with a lot of guys where they just try and change too much and if you know and and at the end of the day yeah. we are in 
in business to 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 put food on the table for our families and if you don't give the guy what he wants he'll he'll quite happily go down the road to and and pay somebody else who will give him what he wants so you gotta you gotta you gotta pitch it right but i've again i I, i'd say i pride myself on being pretty honest and saying look i don't think it's the right thing but if you still want to do it that's that's up to you but i don't think it's necessarily good for your golf and if you're going to make these big changes in one lump sum but we we've got to do what we got to do haven't we (laughs) and do you find that that's the tendency then with the with the practice routines as well do you find that the the more elite golfer, as it were, would be more um, uh, more diligent um, in their practice routines, or or do you find them more flaky? And then you've got the guys that you give the information to who are playing off of twelve, trying to get down to ten. You're saying, "I want you to do this. Or I think you should practice this way," um, and they will stick I th- to I it. I think more. a bit of both, really. Um, in my experience, better golfers tend to practice better through no other reason that they've been through county setups where they've gone to county training days of if they've been national players they've gone to national training days that they, they've almost had it drummed into them at, from such a young age that it's just normal to them they still but on the flip side of that they do it when you're in front of them but they don't do it when you're not in front of them and they are a bit flaky away from you so um whereas club golfers if you ask them to do something um you can generally tell the type of player that actually it doesn't matter what standard they are just their enthusiasm for the sport and getting better um they're probably more they're more accustomed to actually going away and doing it by themselves if i'm being completely honest i think a lot of um on the 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 low low handicappers tend to kind of do it in front of you and then certainly in the team stuff with like hartbury and and, and county golf that I've been experienced around, um, they tend to do it in front of you, but not necessarily away from you. Which, but there again, I mean, I don't know. So, is structured practice perfect for everybody? I don't know. I, th- I think I think we could try and drum the same thing into everyone. It might work for fifty percent, but you know, for the other fifty percent, I think sometimes pretty random practice habits that look very unstructured and very messy are probably more than adequate and actually probably far more beneficial to certain players anyway. So yeah, I think, I think practice habits do vary a lot, but I'd, I'd say a, a club golfer who's keen to get better will definitely go and do what you ask him to do. That's for sure. And would you find then that's why I think going back to your original point and that you'll have a conversation first of all, to find out their wants and needs. You're also trying to draw out of them kind of what type of person yeah, you've got I mean, in front of you if, have you got someone who's going to be really structured and going to do as you tell them to do to get better or you're going to get the guy in front of you who is going to take the lesson then go off do it for a little bit and then go back on youtube or, or whatever they're going to do and when they come back to the lesson say i did yours for a bit and then i ended up looking at this that that, that oh yeah that, we, get, that. we get plenty of those <laughs> youtube's huge <laughs> Do you, do you employ a, I have a Duncan filter. Have you got a Tom Motley filter? So it's a, it's a two-way conversation in that if I'm giving someone, um, if I'm working with a person and they go away and they look at something on YouTube, that they actually can send me the link and I can look at it and say, yes, this would benefit you or no, this um, won't benefit you. I have said, look, yeah, I've, I've banned people from YouTube. <laughs> yeah, I've tried um, to do that as well. I'm in particular <laughs> that um, I see... 
uh, probably about once a month for a couple of hours on a Saturday. And um, he's brilliant. His knowledge of the game, he's an absolute student of the game. And when I first met him, he, he he's he's actually watched probably more coaching um, the Sal the SoCal Californian teaching conference videos on YouTube than I have. <laughs> and he, honestly, his wow. knowledge of the game is phenomenal. But he was, you know, we had to ban him because he comes back with an idea and he's like, well, I tried this and then I messed my swing up again. Now I've got to come back to you to sort it back out. And and um, and to be oh, fair, yeah. you know, he's, he's, he's a lot better now. He, only, he, only, he might skip on there every now and then, but he tries not to. Um, but um, yeah. But yeah. keeps you on your toes, doesn't it? Look, at the end of the day, I think I think it's good for, for players to be inquisitive. And, you know, if they are on YouTube looking for a quick fix because they they duffed a couple on the on on the course the day before chance start it's not going to work um so the you know they'll probably try something and go look tom that was a load of rubbish anyway and i think you kind of got to give give players some freedom to go and do what they got to do um oh, but yeah i have i have said look if you if you're going to look on youtube and you're going to start doing some drills just flick it through to me and i'll have a look and if it's no good to you i'll soon tell you but i, I do find mm. you know players across the board are always are sometimes quite nervous of actually contacting you outside the 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 lesson. Uh, they think they're hassling you, or yep. you know. And at the end of the day, you know, if they were hassling me, I'd tell them. Um, but you know, I, I want every golfer that walks through my bay to get better. Um, it may not be instantaneous, but over a period of time, I want I want every golfer to get better and improve because um, that's why I do my job. If I did it for just for the money, I would have given up a long time ago. It's because I love doing what I do and. And I love I love seeing people improve and, and reach goals that they never thought they'd achieve. And you know, I, th- I think for me, it's it's been accessible to to players, been been able to kind of sit around and 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 chat to them about normal stuff as well as golf stuff. You know, I think sometimes sometimes people come yeah. for a lesson for a chin wag and get, <laughs> release some stress and and yeah. you know, and you got to be you got to be kind of a jack of all trades at, at times, you know. Yeah, I think one of the things that I took years ago was uh, I didn't have a direct conversation with him, but we were we we were talking about that he felt as though you had to be very much like a chameleon as a coach. You have to be able to change your, almost your personality to suit their personality to to see as you do, you know, to get their wants and needs, and then you basically become whatever they need you to become for that hour. Yeah, that no, absolutely, with you. absolutely. You know, it's it's. I, I know I do it. I, I, the fact that I'm even saying this out loud and being this probably going to be broadcast wherever, but um, my accent changes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, mine does. Yeah, you know, and, oh, and, I mean, if I teach someone from Yorkshire, I, I, I start getting my Yorkshire accent back. Believe it or not, and, and you're like, oh, well, you know, it, I. So yeah, you are actually you. You're a social chameleon. You're a teaching chameleon. You, you know, you, you do have to kind of mold to what's in front of you and make sure that you're you're doing the but i think if you didn't you probably wouldn't be doing a good job for the majority of the people so it's, it's not a bad thing is it it's a good thing um yeah. but yeah so what um so what what have you got in your bay and what would you say what percentage wise are you are you a full swing Ooh. specialist are you a short guy what's, what's I, I'd, I'd say i am i am i'm regarded as a as a swing a swing coach a swing guy um, kind of swing is where yeah. I kind of forged my my career, I suppose, and, and understanding mechanics and, and that side of things. I love the short game. I love, you know, short game mm-hmm. is, is an area that I just think is 
is endless. I think there's so many different ways to get the same thing done at times. And, and I think, and it, it sounds like a very blasé statement, but I think everyone has the ability to become world-class because everyone can hit a ball 25 yeah. yards pretty much within reason. Everyone can hit a ball 25 yards. So if you're pretty good at controlling the ball from zero to 25 yards, you, you've got a damn right to, to be able to kind of set your targets a little bit higher than, than you say necessarily can with your long game because not everyone can hit it over 200 yards. Not everyone can hit it. Certainly not everyone can hit it over 300 yards. So, you know, there's certain um, roofs on, on those aspects of the game, but, yeah, I'd, I'd say I'm regarded more as a swing guy than than anything else. Um, um, I'm reasonably renowned for my pitching, both coaching wise and um, personally, because I'm pretty decent at that. But um, yeah, and and funny enough, I've just literally got rid of my Sam Putt Lab today um, because I just I just don't do any putting coaching anymore. Uh, it's 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 sad. No, just bear me two seconds. No, darling. Oh, just bear me two seconds. Yes, all right. Sorry. My two-year-old's just walked in with chocolate all over her face. <laughs> that is, that is the world I live in. Um, but yeah, no, putting's just not something I get chance to, to coach. And I've got an indoor putting green and a sand putt lab, but... Um, so it's mainly swing based nowadays and, and short game really, but um, but yeah, and, and, and performance is kind of my my thing. I, I love trying to help people practice properly and get the best out of their abilities and 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 that side of things. It's it, I think it's it, it's an untapped resource from for a lot of people. I think they they've spent so much time in the lesson tee teaching a, or learning a golf swing or taking lessons, and no one's actually taught them how to play golf properly. Um, and I think it's, it's something that I think modern day coaching is actually going back to olden day coaching <laughs> in, a, in a roundabout way. They, we're, we're doing, yeah. We've done a full 360, less technique, more about playing and, and challenge and figuring it out yourself and creating an environment that they can figure it out rather than giving them all the answers and letting them walk away thinking they got it. And then they've, it's all gone, gone, gone to pot a couple of days later. So how would you do that in your bay? Because I know you've got swing catalyst and I've got swing cat. I've got Trackman. Um, I've got well, I had Sam Putt Lab. Um, I've still got some three D um, that four D stuff um, that I use him frequently yeah. for no other reason than I. I, I if I'm going to do three D, I'll take him to an expert. You know, I, yeah. I, if I use it, is to check on something that somebody else as uh, an expert that understands you know the graphs and the stuff to its entirety and and someone who works in that that area alone you know that that's yeah if i can't if i can do yeah. it half-hearted i won't do it at all um but um but yeah so there's there's just that nowadays um but in terms of creating a, a practice environment um and that side of things i think trackman's a great tool you know the 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 random yardage stuff the the combine tests you know just i mean we make up golf courses on the range we give them challenges if it finishes outside 30 30 feet left it's two shot penalty and you've got to go into the putting green and hold the putt and so on and so forth so we kind of create a, a bit of a fun environment certainly down at hartbury with the with a, a mutual friend of ours um, we do a lot of challenges. Yeah. Um, it's very little technical coaching stuff that I do with those guys because I've all got the home coach. Um, a couple that I work with 
personally as well so I can keep an eye on the, the technical side of things but as a as a as a coaching session we, we very much base it around getting what's their best practice what does it what does it look like you know getting the basics down and then and going through some challenges and, and some um and some stuff that just puts some pressure on them and but keeps them engaged as well you know if, if, if it feels like you've been there for two hours and you've actually only been there 10 minutes you're probably not going to be enjoying your practice session so you've got to get engaged with what you're doing so we try and create as much of that in a in a practice session as humanly possible um on the range or in my studio really it's 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 trying to keep it relevant as well i think that's, sometimes we we give them six iron challenges and stuff like that and they play at a golf course that you only get a six arm once a week so <laughs> you know, you think, oh, this is completely wasted time they've got more wedges into greens than because uh, they're at a short course and you and it's it, but again that's when you if you don't have those important conversations you know where do you play what's the length of your course what's it like tight is it wide open and long you know you can start to kind of build a game around and understand why they hit it you know nowhere but straight as a die where they play on a 5,900 course that that's widest fairways 20 yards you know they're they're a, they're a product of yeah. their environment aren't they so it's trying to pitch everything at the but they're all different they are all different so it's very difficult to say exactly what i do it's it's based around what the the player wants needs and as i say sometimes they don't even talk about practice it's only me kind of getting on my high horse about them not practicing properly that we actually have a conversation about it <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. I mean, there's lots of good info there, Tom. Now, kind of taking it away from that, uh, any recommendations for people of either books they should read, uh, DVDs or downloads they should get or seminars stroke certificates that uh, people should look into Um, a little bit more? um, Through your vast experience in all these seminars. um, It was a shame you weren't there. But um, I'll tell you what, Peaky's best practice, coaching best practice, was absolutely brilliant. I loved it. It was just a day of of conversing with lots of like-minded coaches, throwing ideas about, having little arguments, and and just kind of sitting around. It's like an open forum. And I thought that was brilliant. It was really good, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, So that would be certainly one. I'm sure Peaky will do it again. Um, sorry, Ian Peak. We better call him his professional name, not Peaky. Um, um, <laughs> I think James Ridyard's short game secret stuff is really good. Um, in terms of learning seminars, what can I say? They've all been good. I mean, you know, I mean, the golfing machine stuff was brilliant. Lynn Blake was probably one of the most inspirational individuals I've ever met. I think he's a lovely human being. Um, I think if anyone gets a chance to spend any time with a guy called Mark Bull, they should do. I can't recommend him highly enough. He's He's been a great support to me over the years. And same with James Ridyard, to be fair. If you get a chance to spend time with him, his, his, his knowledge is unbearably good. But, um, and he knows it. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, books-wise, because I'm so far outside of the, the reading golf material books, but I can say um, Coaching Better Every Year by Wade Gilbert. That's brilliant. That is, brilliant. That is fantastic. Yeah. I just started one. Um, it's on my um, Kindle. I can't remember the exact. I think it's called the Performance Cortex, and I can't remember the author, but the Performance Cortex. I've just started reading it, and it, it looks really good. But there's, um, I'm, I'm, as I say at the moment, I'm kind of sat in a world of coaching science, if you like, rather than 
swing science. Mm. Um, but any anything about being becoming a better coach and getting the best out of you know that sort of things. Dave Collins, he's brilliant. Yeah, um, and I also quite like Rich Bailey. If you ever get a chance to listen to him. But I tell you what, yeah. get yourself on TED Talks. There's nothing to do with golf on there, but I tell you what, some of the stuff I've learned on that thing is brilliant. Just random subjects off TED Talks. It's it, it, if I ever get bored at night, I'll, I'll I'll sit and watch three or four of them. And some of the stuff on there, there was uh, Angela Duckworth about grit and and um, oh, I forget his name now. Um, Robinson about education and creativity. There's there's all sorts. It's really good. I mean, you can find anything now. The internet. You don't even need to buy a book, do you? <laughs> Maybe not. I don't know. I know. I, I know. keep buying them. a library at Hartbury, and I didn't even realise I could use it until a couple of weeks. I've spent about two grand on books over God knows how many years, and I could have used the Hartbury one that I was free. Could have used for free. But um, oh, brilliant! What about podcasts? Apart, uh, apart from, from this, this course, one. Uh, I really like Cameron McCormack's one, um, which is I forget I yeah. again forget the name of um, the PGA Tour one with um, Mark Immelman. Um, I think it's really good. I think probably one of the best podcasts I've listened to this year would be the Zane Scotland one. Um, I thought he was yeah. talking from a coach and a player's perspective and a high level player as well. To be fair to him, um, I thought it was fantastic, and I loved Claude Harmon's one on. Um, Cameron McCormack's, I think it's. I thought he was yeah. brilliant. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, God, if if there's any any coaching pedigree that I think uh, anyone could take, learn a lot from, it's the, the Harmon brothers and sons and daughters and God knows how many others there are. But um, I think he's brilliant. But yeah. podcast, yeah. Um, and if you, yeah, Secret in the Dirt on YouTube was brilliant. I used to love watching all that stuff. Did you ever watch that? Yeah, yeah after that was Steve Elkington. And um, that the the mad putting professor, I forget his name now. Um, putting <laughs> uh, professor. Oh no, oh, I've um, forgotten his name. Mangum, Jeff Mangum. <laughs> yes, Lloyd Mangum. Yeah, very yeah, good. They're, they're, I'd say that the the McCormack one, the PJ Tour one with Mark Himmerman, um, and of course yours. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're about the only ones I listen to. To be fair. <laughs> to be fair. Brilliant. Well, there's only there 24 is. hours there in the is. day. I read, listen, teach, be a father. Try yeah. lots to do, mate. Lots to do. So, if you had a chance to play a f- mm-hmm. fantasy four ball, where would it be played and who would it be um, with? We'd have to be Augusta. I think Augusta would have to just to say I've played Augusta because it's, it's a course that you can't really just go and play and pay your cash. Um, no, have you been um, there? Have you? I was. No, I was hoping to go last year, um, but I, I, I don't want to tempt fate because I've I've set myself some professional goals, and one of them would would include being at Augusta in a different capacity than just viewing. Um, but yeah, yeah, it'd be Augusta. It'd have to be Sergio. Everyone knows I've got a, a slight man crush on that boy. Um, I think yeah. Woods and Sevi. I think that would be pretty awesome. Seve, who got me into the game and got me a passion and got me a decent short game as a kid. Woods, because he's the all-time great. And Sergio, because I think he's phenomenal. And I think uh, that would be a phenomenal four ball. And who's playing um, with who? Oh, that's a toughie. I'd, oh, I'd have to play with Serge. 
just so I could high five him on every hole. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Tom, um, give us a, give a shout out to all of your uh, social media. My feeds. feeds. Um, so Instagram and Twitter um, is quite simple at Motley Golf. Um, I don't have any other social media. I, I do have YouTube, but I don't use it. And anything that's on there is old. Um, but I think it's called Motley Golf Coach on YouTube. Um, and my website is www.motleygolf.co.uk. And that's that's all my stuff. Excellent. You get you get about a minute to two minutes just to thank anyone that uh, you would wish to um, that have helped you through your career. Um, I hand the I hand the mic okay, over well, to you, as they would say. As I say, I've mentioned a couple of guys: Mark Bull, um, James Ridyard. Um, I've got some some good guys like Ian Peak. You know, Peak has been around for me a lot. Um, there's so many people: Lynn Blake. You know, I kept in regular contact, Mike and Andy. If it weren't for them, I probably wouldn't have really started to understand how to categorise golf swings and, and whatnot. But um, lots of people, really. And, and, a, and a guy that you probably know, a guy called Barney Puttock, who came in my first pr- proper break at Brocket yeah. Hall. Um, and he's, he's always wished me well. And um, he's been a, he's, I don't have huge amounts of contact with him, but the little contact I have is always very good. And um, he's always been very good to me. So, yeah. And, and all the guys that have... Um, employed me <laughs> and paid me my money and uh, all my clients really they, they they make me a better coach and the guys down at Hartbury as well um, I, I have a great time going back down there each week um, it's a place where I went 20 odd years ago and uh, to be back there coaching the students is, is fantastic and the students are majority of them are good as gold but uh, but yeah so but and, and and you Dunk actually thank you for inviting me on and, uh, and and it's nice working alongside you with a player as well. I so get to see your good work. And I don't know, uh, I, I think I might have to build a podcast just so I can re-interview you so you can have your opportunity to, to have a little bit of a yabber as well. <laughs> yeah, well, um, I, I, I have made a promise to myself and a couple of other guys that uh, the 50th episode, if I get that far, will be me. But I haven't decided quite yet who's oh, going to let, let me grill me. you. So. Although, although I, I'll, I'll go off on tangents like I always do. I can't I can, you ask me one question, I'll answer four, and and not the one you asked me. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm quite happy on this side of the. I'm quite happy answer, asking the questions. I'm not sure how <laughs> how happy I am answering them. So that's why I'd just like to thank you, Tom, for coming on. Um, you know, we've we've known each other for a little while now, and. Uh, going through the a lot of seminars together and you've always asked some really really I think you always ask some really good quality questions uh when we've when we've been at uh, whether it be the swing catalyst uh seminars or just just in general so uh keep up the good work stay curious um I think you do a lot of good stuff and anyone that can benefit from getting some coaching from you will uh well, only fight, like you said, you're one of the coaches that really, really care. I'm not saying that others don't, but I definitely see that that coming through or shining through from you in uh, in all the stuff that you do. So uh, keep it up, mate, and I look oh, forward to catching up with that, you soon. Cheers, mate. Thank you. And best of luck oh, tonight. Yeah. See, I nearly got oh, through come it. Come on, Liverpool. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent, Tom. Take care Perfect. of yourself. Cheers, we'll catch Tom. up soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Cheers now. Bye.